I'm here today with Faranak Ahmedi, who is a women's affairs journalist at BBC World Service, who's visiting Montreal. Hi. Hello. <laughs> How are Glad you to be here. <laughs> yeah, right on. Um, wow, it's really cool uh, that you could come to, down to the station. Um, your programming has touched a wide range of issues. Um, your uh, reporting has talked about cultural uh, identity struggles in many parts of the world, and particularly from a women's perspective. Um, I guess the first thing maybe I comes to mind that would be really interesting to hear from you about is how's working at the BBC? Um, you're um, uh, feminist. Uh, you speak a lot about the complexities of Iranian society. Um, we don't hear a lot about that in a lot of the mainstream media outlets. How's it been going? Well, working in the BBC is an amazing experience. And I'm not just saying it as a BBC staff, seriously, as a journalist, it is one of the most amazing places to work at. Um, the editorial values I really, really cherish is something that you can hold up and defend anywhere. Um, I'm not saying there are no slips and sure. <laughs> but anyways, um, and it is one of those places that there are so many amazing journalists with fantastic work experiences willing to give you their experience, like share those experiences with you and help you grow. And it's an amazing experience. I really, if, if, if you're a journalist and you want to go work for BBC, go for it, <laughs> even if it is for a few years, just to gain experience. Um, and what what is really important at the moment in BBC is to meet certain standards by 2020. So to get more stories out there that engage women, mm -hmm. to have a more female narrative in our stories. So it's not just one voice and a male voice, especially with language services, that is very tricky because maybe in the Western societies, we are moving towards equality more. But when you're talking about BBC Pashto, or BBC Dari, or BBC Persian, or BBC Uzbek, then the gap is still very wide. Mm -hmm. And you really have to work hard to close that gap. And it is an important step by the BBC to try and close this gap. And that is why new positions like Women's Affairs Journalists for World Service uh, language services has been created. And that is what I'm trying to do, trying to close the gap, both in our broadcasts and productions and at, our, at the workspace. What has been um, a story um, or an issue that you've really um, felt was important to put out there mm. this, this, this last year in your work? And maybe maybe share with us a bit about how that process was and also people work people could listen to it? Well, I do. Um, I cover a lot of different stories, not necessarily related to women, but I try to bring a woman's perspective into that story. Mm -hmm. So uh, one story that I really wanted to, um, like one topic that I really wanted to work on was um, health issues, for instance, mm -hmm. and obesity, because more and more uh, women are becoming obese in Iran. So the WHO had these staggering figures. I don't, I don't remember right now, but it's around 65 or 
very close to 70% of women are overweight and obese in Iran. So it's kind of really a staggering figure. And um, instead of just looking at obesity mm-hmm. as just a topic and health issue, mm-hmm. I wanted women to, women who are suffering from it mm. to tell their stories. Okay. So I, I commissioned all of these women wow. who follow me on my Instagram because I use my... I, the one thing I really need to point out before I get into this is that as a BBC journalist, I'm not allowed to go back to Iran. Um, so I... For my news gathering, I have to be very, very creative. And I have made my social media platform, my Instagram account, a place for my news gathering. Mm. So I have created this microclimate, which is safe for women to express themselves and to exchange opinions and have a dialogue about Mm. gender issues and women's issues. Mm. And from that, I also use it as a source of my news gathering for finding case studies, for putting out questions and just hearing from women. Mm. So when I wanted to do that, I, I don't have the advantage of taking a mic out on the on the field and at getting vox pops. <laughs> um, I had to put the question out on my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. And I asked women, if any of you have suffered from obesity, overweight issues, health, uh, overweight health issues, get in touch with me. I want to hear from you. And I started interviewing them on Instagram, basically chatting with them, talking to them, hearing their stories. And I mm, chose around five of them with different kind of stories who were shining light on different angles of the issue. And I asked them to write a blog Hmm. about their journey Mm -hmm. and their struggles with their weight. That is something I'm really proud of because Mm -hmm. it really sparked this dialogue, which is different because usually when we see a person who is obese or has overweight issues, we we have these judgments about them. Oh, they're lazy. Oh, they must be unhealthy. <laughs> All of that. And I wanted to just say that it's not necessarily like it's, it's an illness. Mm-hmm. It's an illness. And we have to have the same compassion for these people. And there are so there is a story behind this. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen over overnight. And that story is important and it needs to be heard, especially for women, because in a country like Iran, a culture which puts so much emphasis on the beauty of a woman and you're, you're valued by if you have found a husband or not. Can you imagine what kind of a pressure a woman who is suffering from obesity is under? So it was very important for me to get get those voices out there. And it's something I'm very proud of. The participants in your story, obviously, there was a lot of courage involved for mm-hmm. them to share uh, their their perspectives. Uh, how, how was interacting with people? I'm amazed by this, yeah. that when women feel safe, mm-hmm. how willing they are to share their stories. The thing is, Usually on social media platforms, female engagement with our posts on BBC Persian, for instance, mm-hmm. is like 20%, okay. really low. Wow. BBC Pashto, 4%, oh. really, mm. really low. But that is not because women don't have anything to say. It's because they don't feel safe. Because the minute they put their comments out there, they're being harassed. They're being bullied. Sexual harassment is really, really a, a serious issue on social media platforms because these are just an extension of your offline world. Mm-hmm. 
your online world is an extension of your offline world. Those social norms which apply to the online world mm-hmm. apply to the offline world as well. So the more male-dominant the, the on, offline world is, it is the online world is the same as well. So it is very, for me, it was very important to create that microclimate where women felt safe. Where mm-hmm. I, and once they feel safe, they're willing to share their stories. I Just today, one of the stories I worked on was published on BBC Persian, which we looked at the Balkan route of um, smuggling opium from Kabul, from Afghanistan to Europe. And on the route, mm-hmm. we are stopping from Afghanistan, we stop in Iran, and from Iran, we stop in Turkey, and from Turkey, we stop in, in UK. And each stop, we are telling the story of someone. And the stop in Iran is the story of a 33-year-old woman who has been struggling with opium addiction for the past 14 years, past 10 years, sorry. Um, so, and again, I found her on my Instagram account. Wow. But the openness of her, mm-hmm. how she has put her story out there, mm-hmm. talking about this issue is, is amazing. And it's, it, it's, I really admire them. Wow. We're in studio with Farnak Ahmedi, uh, who is a BBC journalist. Um, and so following up from that, I would really uh, love to um, hear a bit of your perspective in regards to the ways that women's voices um, in Iran are uh, mediatized or not mm-hmm. mediatized in the West. Because obviously in the last 20 years or even longer, uh, maybe even since the revolution, this has been a hot topic for a lot of mm. uh, journalists in the West um, who will go to great extents to address women's issues in Iran, I mean, at least on paper or in broadcast, but often we don't hear from women activists or feminist voices on the ground. So that includes some BBC reporting from mm. maybe another era. How has that been like to sort of flip the dynamic? It's very interesting because having a Western perspective Mm -hmm. towards Iranian women, I mean, it's nothing new. But for for Iranian women to talk about themselves in Western media, that is not something we hear a lot about. Mm -hmm. Um, And we like the Western point of view is usually very they, they sometimes romanticize stuff. You know, it's not really it's not as real because it's such a complicated issue. You know, the yeah. women's situation in Iran is so complicated. It's not just black and white. Mm, it's the same with Saudi Arabia. It's the same with Afghan women. I mean, if you go to Afghanistan, you'll realize how complicated the situation is. But from outside, it doesn't seem like that. The thing is, it's very hard to get women's active women women's act women's rights activists on the ground in Iran to talk to media because it's dangerous you'll end up in prison most of the women's rights activists in Iran have left the country you have to leave at some point there is only so much you can do inside the country without getting arrested and once you get arrested what good can you do we have so many of the activists right now in prison. What can they do anymore? Nothing. So it's not worth it. So, so they leave. And once they leave, for a while, yes, you're fresh, you're 
fresh out of the country, you have these views that nobody else has. But at, after five, six, ten years, you're so far away. You're detached. And the, and the society is just changing every day. I feel it with me as well. You know, I, I've left Iran 10 years ago and I can't go back. So it's really a struggle to keep myself up to date and to really reflect what is happening in the society. It, it is a struggle. And um, that's why it makes it really difficult to actually cover women's issues, in my opinion, in a, in a, in a realistic way. Over the past year, there's been quite a few protests for mm. economic justice in Iran mm. um, from different political vantage points, um, for sure. Uh, I realized like in the northeast, some of them were driven by forces that were right of the current government. But anyways, there's a lot of layers. Um, but one thing I did notice, at least from friends in Tehran or uh, in the diaspora, who, who mentioned that women were really at the mm. forefront of a lot of those protests. Absolutely, yeah. Um, a lot of the, uh, the the protests were led by leftist students. Yeah. And, you know, leftist students are more mostly more progressive compared to the right and religious uh, wings um, of the student um, groups. So, yes, you saw a lot of women in the forefront. And it was probably after so many years, probably after eight or 10 years that on International Women's Day, we had women actually out protesting. And that was also a left wing uh, protest. Um, I mean, they were all arrested and all of that <laughs> uh, didn't take that long, the protest. However, it was such a big move. And I think one thing that is very important and I'm not sure if everybody understands how important it is and it gets lost in the whole uprisings is that women's rights have to be addressed. The thing is, there is this this delusion in Iran that if this system, the Islamic Republic of Iran, falls, things will get better for women. But no, no. It's, that's not going to happen. We need women's rights movements. We need feminism to push this forward. Otherwise, it's not going to just... Uh, it, it, people sometimes believe that. Um, I, I hear it a lot. There are a lot of debates on social media where you hear people talking about these things. And a lot of people just say, no, when democracy comes, real democracy comes, women's rights issues by themselves will just... It would just, women's situation would get better. It might get a little better, but it doesn't guarantee that women will have equal rights. Mm -hmm. I see. And it's, I'm happy to see that women are out there in the forefront pushing because as long as they're there, but, but they have to keep it because we have seen 40 years ago, they were there, they mm. were in the forefront. Yeah. They held the biggest anti-Khomeini, anti-Islamic uh, Republic protests after the revolution. It was the women, but they were sidelined. Yeah, I've seen images of the March 8th protests, I believe, in, in yeah. 1980. 80, or, yeah. Yeah. It was the biggest yeah. until today, one of the biggest. Mm -hmm. And it was women who did it. Mm -hmm. And women were the ones questioning that this, this revolution is smelling fishy, <laughs> but nobody listened to them and they sidelined them. So we have to be very careful that, that that doesn't happen in these movements right now, especially student movements. 
The last few days, um, I was looking at a lot of old Soviet animation, and it's amazing. Yeah, some of them are really good, actually. They're so <laughs> so creative, and yeah. and there's a lot of um, discussion about these pieces as simply calls for freedom mm. in a Western framework. Mm. And I, I was thinking a lot about how in any society there's a complexity, mm. there's a struggle that exists not only in the paradigm of the West, but within a, an indigenous paradigm. Like the, the idea that there is sort of um, a tension and, a, and, and there is political space that's negotiated and fought for within any context. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of the time people will share like Persopolis film mm. and 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 the commentary is almost feels like there's very little recognition of, you know, you were just talking about the struggles within a society where they they exist in their own. There's an indigenous culture to mm. social change. It's not simply, you know, oh, well, the West uh, yeah. broke the Iron Curtain. Now everything's better. Obviously not. It's it's complicated not to justify any oppression. But not I'm exactly. wondering if you have anything to share. Exactly. Yeah. The thing is, it, it is naive to think mm -hmm. that there is a Western... Um, the Western style democracy, you can take it and just copy paste it anywhere you want. Mm -hmm. I mean, it ha we have seen that it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. It hasn't worked in Iraq and Afghanistan, nowhere, <laughs> basically nowhere. <laughs> because these cul cultures have so much complexity and they, they have their own culture. These are independent cultures. And you need to go through these changes yourself. So right now, the whole debate in Iran, which has polarized the country, is that, okay, U.S. is going to come and save us. The sanctions are going to bring this regime down, and then the sun will rise, and everybody's going to be happy and dandy, and our problems are going to be gone. But that's not the case. I mean, experience has showed that this is not the case. It might, it might, I don't know, something magical, a miraculous thing might happen in Iran. I hope so. <laughs> but you never know. But experience has showed otherwise. So that is exactly the point you're making. And I, I, I totally agree with it. It's not as simple as that. It doesn't work like that. If it were, if it did work like that, then the, everything would be so much easier. <laughs> we just take the oppressor, the dictator, and just give this formula and be like, mm, now you're going to all be happy. Democracy. Mm -hmm. Woohoo. That's not happening. <laughs> the process. The process is totally mm -hmm. different. It has to happen within the dialogue, for instance, the dialogue between seculars mm -hmm. and religious people mm -hmm. has to happen within Iran. Mm -hmm. This separation has to happen through the dialogue, which was happening during the uh, constitutional revolution around 150 years ago, which the West actually stopped. Um, back then, that conversation was happening. And if it would go take its natural mm -hmm. procedure, probably things would be different right now. But the reason that theology came in was because they, they, this, this process was stopped. It was intervened, and it didn't allow that dialogue to happen. This dialogue needs to happen within the country. This dialogue in Iran, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria has to happen within the country. Mm -hmm within that culture and within that context. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just going to fail. Um, 
It's we're in 2019. Obviously, it's spring in Montreal, which mm -hmm. is good. Um, you uh, in 2019 have found like a really constructive way as a journalist, as a reporter, as um, engaged uh, um, women's affairs um, journalist to utilize social media. I mm -hmm. find that really inspiring. It's cool because a lot of the time it feels like there's this disconnect between utilizing um, more traditional structures of media and social media mm. as a social force. Mm. Um, how is like finding that um, uh, that sort of balance and, and developing that relationship between sort of different spheres of media practice been for you? First of all, I love social media. Mm -hmm. The thing is you have to love it to be able to utilize it in the right way. And ever since it was created, I loved it. It's like, what? This is it. This is my platform. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm going to use this. <laughs> uh -huh. And I never understood people who said, oh, but Facebook is making me feel like this and that. It's not cool. I don't want to be on it. I, I want to be on it. Okay. I love it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I m shifted from TV to digital platforms, mm -hmm. it's because Right now, in, especially in the developed world and Western world, people are not really into live TV anymore. Everybody's just on their tablets and phones watching stuff. And it's more, people are more in their own bubbles. Mm -hmm. And it's the same in Iran. A lot of people are watching stuff on their, t on their phones. And I realized that I, I need to tap into this. I cannot just, th this platform gives women at the same time that it can replicate the offline world, it can also give women unprecedented freedom to express themselves if we try and help them. And I just realized that this platform also gives me an opportunity to talk about things which maybe I would have more limitations to talk about on radio and mm -hmm. TV. I would have to get commission, find a guest, do this, that. But on this platform, I could easily talk about it. And this is a platform that every woman can use, no matter what kind of education they have, what kind of background they have. She might be in the kitchen cooking lunch or um, out driving, but she can she can listen, she can read, mm -hmm. all of that. And it's very, very important to use it. And I, mm -hmm. and I realized that as a journalist, um, I can give information on this platform in a simple language mm -hmm. and information where which women don't really have access to inside the country. So I talk a lot about sexual health, uh, female sexuality, gender issues, LGBTQ issues, um, because these are the things that you don't have in mainstream media. Mm. So my social media platform com complements mm. the rest of my work. And it was very important for me to, to use it in that way and to also use it as a news gathering tool because without it, what, what was I gonna do, <laughs> you know? Sure. Yeah. We've been in studio with Faranak Ahmadi, uh, who's a journalist. Thank you for being here. Thank Maybe, you very much. yeah, it's been super great <laughs> to talk to you. Do, is there any like um, websites or people that have inspired you that you would encourage people to check out, or websites that people might not have heard about, or people that they should look out for? Uh, or also, please share your your pages because I'm sure you share a lot of <laughs> other things on them. Um, 
I, I get inspired all the time, you know, by by programs, by TV programs, by just um, reading books, uh, by my friends, by women, mm-hmm. mostly a lot of women. Um, but there are a few very interesting um, Iranian feminists doing some fantastic work mm-hmm. on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them is a woman called Suderad. Um, you can check her out on Instagram. She does a lot on, she's a queer feminist, Iranian queer feminist. She does fantastic work. She has created apps and radio programs for the LGBTQ uh, community. It's, she, She's she's fierce. <laughs> uh, you should definitely check her out. And there are these um, feminists inside Iran who are doing fantastic work mm-hmm. as well. Um, Najma Vahidi, she's she, she's a fierce feminist inside Iran. She was in prison um, um, uh, during summer for three months. Mu- uh, three months. She's now out on bail, but um, she, no one has been able to to silence her. She's still writing, you know, and these are these are very inspiring women wow. that on a daily basis, they inspire me to push on and to, right on. to continue what I do. Uh, your handles, just if people want to check them out. So just just my name, Farinak Amidi, you can search it uh, on Instagram. Okay, that's that's my Instagram account. And I also do the same handle for Twitter. Cool. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you very much.